Welcome guys to the official prototyping podcast where we basically talk about everything to do with prototyping. And so in this season, you will learn about different aspects of the methodology, hear from different prototyping practitioners, and even see us try to make our own, all in the spirit of validating your idea with your own data. I'm Jonathan Sun. And I'm Robert Scrove. This episode is sponsored by Exponentially. Supercharge your innovation process and get certified as a world-class prototyper with the official Learn Prototyping online course. Sign up using the code OG100 for $100 off. You can learn from Exponentially CEO and master prototyper Leslie Berry and develop your own prototype with personal feedback from Leslie. You'll also gain access to the Exponentially app, an enterprise-level tool to help you keep track of your prototypes, and join an exclusive Slack community of certified prototypers. Sign up today at www.exponentially.com forward slash learn dash prototyping and use the code OG100 for $100 off. Our next guest is Daniel uh, Puche. That's how you say your last name? Yeah, it's called Puche. Puche, okay. Um, Daniel created this cool tool called Horizon, which is the leading landing page demand testing software. This was spun out of a larger development studio called Candy Labs, an M MVP building agency. In addition, he has had multiple experiences working on ecosystem building activities, leading Station HQ and hosting FUP Nights. How are you doing, Daniel? Hi, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? I'm doing well myself. Um, I'm curious to know, like, where did the name uh, Horizon come from? That's a good question. Um, actually, there's not the, the, the one like origin of it. Um, it's kind of, we thought about um, what Horizon as a tool might be able to allow for, and it's actually building the next big thing probably um, at the end of the Horizon, basically. So this is how we derive the name Horizon. But Horizon itself as a name is kind of tricky because there's kind of a thousand tools out there that are called Horizon or even like consultancies or whatever. Uh, but still, we, we like the name pretty much. Yeah. And I love it because, I mean, my very first startup I ever, I, I ever started was also called Horizon, but except there's an H-O-R-I-Z-A-N instead of the O at the end. And the way I ended up uh, discovering my name was uh, when, I, uh, when I was driving through, uh, through the rain with my friend and I saw a rainbow and I was just like, Horizon, that's going to be the name of my startup. And so that's how I, uh, how I derived the name for my, for my company. Then I went and found domains and then tried to misspell Horizon as much as I could until I ended up with H-O-R-I-Z-A-N, and then that domain was available, so I bought it. Um, yeah, same here. We, we still have struggled like getting the right domain, kind of tricky thing. And also there's a couple of startups already um, with, your, with your name, um, though these domains are not available as well. Exactly. Um, so tell, tell me about the inspiration about, her, about how Horizon got started. Cool, sure. Um, actually, it's coming um, out of the consultancy we are doing uh, with, the, with the company you just mentioned, Candy Labs, um, because we were and we still are like trying to support big corporations in building new digital products. And it's always kind of split up in three phases of the project. It's about like finding the new idea, then validating the new idea, and then eventually like build it and bring it into the market. Um, for in, in, in terms of the validation, we noticed that actually it's a big thing for like larger corporations really going out early and talk to the customers. And therefore we came up with the idea of landing page demand testing. So like have the product be shown on a landing page, book some traffic on it and see what is the conversions doing. Um, and doing this for like three to four years. 
um, we ended up in noticing that we are actually doing always and every time the same stuff, basically. Um, building the same integrations, connecting the same analytic stuff um, and all, its, all the kind of tools you need for running such a task. And then we decided to build the product from the backend part, basically. So first of all, we had Google Sheet tracking, then Google Data Studio, some like, kind of a big query database coming all the data in. Um, and on top of that, we, at some certain point of time, we built the front end. And this is how actually the product developed. And then at a certain point of time, we just noticed uh, that this is, um, at least it has the potential for being like an own business. And then we decided to, to approach it like this. Before that, it was kind of a tool or like kind of a method we applied several times, um, but now we are like running it as an own business. Okay. And is there like uh, ML, so uh, what kind of tech are you using on it? Is it like ML, uh, using like ML, any sort, any sort of uh, machine learning or, um, or, or, or stuff like that? No, it's pretty straightforward actually. It's, um, I mean, like a test contains of three different parts. So you need to acquire the traffic. You need to see how the traffic or the user is behaving on the website, how the user is converting. And then you need somehow the lead conversion into like, you need to submit your email address basically uh, in order to show the product interest. Um, and this is the three parts of a test. And what you need is on a, on a data set, basically you need to understand the data and you need to understand the performance. And this is the trickiest part. Um, and we came up with an idea of um, like a proprietary score. We call it customer demand score, um, which is kind of a, like an ongoing running benchmarking on all the tests, but on an anonymously basis. Uh, that compares the different like performances in different industries and therefore is able to derive your performance for your product and show it like in a pretty straightforward way we call it the customer demand score cool and um and how and speaking of the customer demand score how accurate has your product been in terms of predicting customer demand uh, pretty tough question actually because you know that i mean building a new startup there's a lot of reasons why this product or this startup could fail. Um, missing market demand is the top one reason. It's, I think it accounts for 42 or 44% of all failures. Um, however, um, there's a couple of reasons involved why, why a product could actually fail. Um, so you're not able to really build the direct bridge from like the custom demand score to like a product success. But what you, what you understand from such a test is actually what is your CAC basically? So your customer acquisition cost, uh, because you're trying to acquire the right customers for your product. So whenever your CAC is maybe like hypothetically like five euros or five dollars, um, you can just put this into your business case and you know where to start in terms of your marketing spend. Um, so there's no direct correlation for the customer demand score to the later stage product success because it depends on the team on like market circumstances you you cannot control basically or whatever or insufficient funding or maybe there's a lot of reasons involved however there is a lot of data pieces in the test itself that allows you for doing the right things after that and to understand if you like hit it or if you need to iterate does it make sense right. yeah absolutely absolutely um looking forward to trying it out soon um do you plan on uh, implementing other types of prototyping analysis on your platform other than uh, the fake door? There's a like, larger vision involved in Horizon, yes. Um, but um, in the next couple of months, we stick to the landing page tests we're running. 
um, but we are currently like evaluating how this could be transferred into, let's call it plugins for stores or e-commerce shops. Um, so we don't necessarily to have the landing page as the one and only asset in the future, um, but still we will stick to the fake door. Okay. And I mean, uh, it, I guess it somewhat makes sense, right? Because I think that like, you know, when it went, well, you know, if you, if you look at all the possible prototypes you could do, I think like fake door is generally, I think the most common, right. And like, kind of like when you go to, um, when, at least from what I've seen, you know, going to like a lot of different, you know, like intro to startup seminars and things like that, right. Like something that they bang on over and over again is, you know, landing page, landing page, landing page. And then they do things like, you know, um, email signups, pre-orders and things like that. And so, um, and so I guess it makes sense to, you know, kind of like stick for the with the main door for the time being yeah but still like factors i mean the most like from a, from a volume point of view it's might, maybe the most promising but however um there's a lot of terms involved when talking about such kind of a test so the one part called like landing page test the other call it like fake door test um third ones like they have a different name it's pretty tricky from a marketing point of view and lead acquisition point of view to really get best that product into the right target group with the right wording. Right, exactly. And like, kind of going off of that, what's your opinion on like um, using email address ver addresses versus like pre-orders for like um, for like you know landing for um, for landing pages for for predicting customer demand? Like, uh, what what's your opinion on email addresses versus pre-orders? Yeah, I think the the email address is in in, in the very right position for having um, like a test that you can just easily set up in like in a timely manner and the value of the email address on the other side. Um, so the, the email address from a like prediction point of view is not the best thing uh, because the actual purchase would be the best thing. But if you would like to approach it on like on a, on a global level and like really allow people to test on a larger scale and having the actual purchase as the most valuable thing it's pretty tricky to bake that into your software product because whenever you like acquire money, there's a lot of regulations coming in, how, how to build it actually, what to do with the money, how to get the accounting in the right way. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty tough from like a product point of view, at least from horizon perspective to get the best data in terms of the value talking about like actual purchases, because this is something it's like tricky as hell to build it on a scale. There's a, like a couple of companies doing it actually, but they are doing it on their own. They, they're producing like, for instance, like a hundred items of kind of a prototype and they really ship it uh, just to sort out the, the actual CAC for that product. But it, it's not a scalable process for like software as a service product. Right, exactly. Um, and would you say like, which products do you think um, do the most similar things? Um, to, like to, Horizon, to, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, there's, um, you, you guys probably are aware that there's a software called LaunchRock. Um, but LaunchRock is more on the customer acquisition. Once you decided to build a product, they also do have like a, like a part of it in terms of demand validation. Um, but actually, um, if you're like a professional and you know what it means to set up such kind of a test, you can build on Unbounce or like Webflow or Wix.com for landing page. You can set up your own ads and you can set up like MailChimp for the CRM part. So actually all the tools 
um, needed to set up a test are available in the market. It's just like a big hurdle going on in allowing a broader audience to set up these kind of tests. And therefore the, the actual competitors are more the single tools needed, needed for setting up a test instead of the, the other like one-stop solution. This is not in the market actually. This is what we're trying to build. Right, exactly. Um, Rob, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I think the concept of using um, what you're doing at Horizon, the concept of basically being able to use testing as a way of, of exploring uh, demand for like how for a person's products, but doing it with software is really interesting. I was looking over uh, like some of the, the, the different things you've done in, in your career, like when you were at Candy Labs for a while, you did that for over seven years. You were the founder and CEO of that. Um, where you did MVPs, digital products for startups and enterprises that scaled um, to millions of users. You were the co-founder and member of the board of advisors for Bikebeat. You're a co-founder at Station HQ. So, you I mean, you have a lot of like foundational like roles in previous engagements. So I'm wondering with, with what you're doing with, with Horizon, how has your previous experience kind of informed you and kind of uh, shaped how you kind of go about, you know, selling and and kind of promoting the company you're at now yeah it's like uh, I, I think it, it was steve jobs saying it um you're just able to connect the dots looking backwards um so being in the process of like founding candy labs and doing like some other ventures it felt like um it's kind of a big back and forth actually um, but eventually a lot of things, not necessarily all things, just make sense in, in terms of the experience um, I was able to gain. Um, so we, we decided to co-found a company called Bridge, which was kind of a, like, let's call it a Tinder for business app uh, for matchmaking on events uh, back then in 2014. And actually I learned a lot about what is the wrong setup of the team. And there's a couple of other like experiences we did um, that actually they, they failed. Um, but it, it's pretty valuable to understand what is not working, just to get in the position to understand what might be working. And I'm at a certain point where I think I understood at least some of the parts that are necessary um, to get right in order to really build like scale in a product or in a company. And all the, the, the gigs you just mentioned, basically they, they have some more, some less contributions in this kind of position. And then let's see if this turns out to be successful. I mean, Horizon is pretty good in, in terms of setup. We have a strong co-founding team. We have good traction on the product, but still there's a lot of things that we need to do right. Um, and let's see if the past experience allows for doing these things right. How do you see the customer and demand score that you use within Horizon being something that uh, informs your clients? Is it something where if something has a low customer demand score, then you have a set of recommendations versus one that has a really high customer demand score? I mean, where do you usually, what do you usually recommend for each of those scenarios? Mm, I'm not sure if I get the question right, but what we do have with the customer demand score is that it, it's just benchmarking the performances in the different data buckets, like from acquiring the traffic, doing the conversion, and then getting into the lead conversion basically and reconfirming the email address. And this is benchmarked. And then if this is works, if this works pretty well for like a product, um, it equals like a high customer demand score. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I was wondering how, how you approach 
like basically where the, where those benchmarks are. If you see something that's highly successful, is how does how does Horizon kind of uh, like pivot the or or guide the clients towards a particular end, or if something doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be getting the benchmark that they're expecting, it's 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 performing below that point. What do you usually pivot, or what do you usually recommend in those situations? Yeah, good one. Um, it depends on, on on the budget spend. It depends on the traffic amount. Um, so, for instance, in the in the first days of a flight, so like a test is called a flight in, in Horizon, um, you usually see a lot of um, data volatility. Um, so we recommend, for instance, having a low custom demand score at the very beginning, maybe day day one of the flight. Um, the user stick to the flight and spend at least three days in terms of a running campaign to sort out the flight and the CDS. And after that, like having a, a custom demand score maybe of 9.5, which is pretty high, um, we recommend the user at least to gain like the statistical significance in the data set before he actually quits the flight or he terminates the flight. So it's a kind of a back and forth between what kind of performance and what kind of like statistical evidence we do have in the flight. So for that volatility, do you use like moving averages, like use exponential moving averages or anything that where you can kind of see trends over a particular time, depending on how long the experiment runs? Yeah, um, we are advancing in this area still. Um, so the first version was pretty like straightforward, like um, single benchmarking, and you're currently like advancing how the model is working uh, because it also like, it depends on how much tests we do have for benchmarking purposes. So we are ramping up business right now. We are acquiring more and more tests and test data, and therefore we can iterate the model as well. Uh, but we are still not there that we would say like, this is the final working model of the score. There's still a way to go for sure. Since experiments can fail on multiple fronts, depending on, on things that sometimes are even out of the creator's control, such as like timing or like maybe even placement, how does that, is that reflected at all in, in the software that you have in terms of what dimension of your experiment may be underperforming versus ones that seem to be performing as expected? Mm, not really, because we're focusing on the demand score for a product. Um, yeah. And then there's a lot of rivals coming in for like, different angles of the venture, let's say, or, or the company you are trying to build. Um, but we focus on the product itself. Um, so what is user actually doing and how is she converting or she is converting? And that's pretty much it. Do you use your own proprietary software for the landing pages, like whether that's a mobile app or a digital platform? Do you have something that you build in-house for each of the particular experiments that you have, or do you use any no-code tools? How does that how does that typically kind of kind of come into creation? Well, the, the vision of Horizon is that we allow this kind of testing for pretty much everybody. And Therefore, um, we are going to release pretty soon our own landing page builder, which is based on templates. Currently, we're integrating with Unbounce and Mix.com or all the other tools you could imagine um, based on like snippets we do have. Um, but we see that even if you provide a template for the no-code tool, um, the users like still struggle to set up their own landing page. So um, if you take a look in, at Horizon maybe in like three months, you're able to um, actually upload the product pack shots you might need to enter the value proposition uh, for the product and all the assets you're uploading and you're setting, they are going to be automatically applied to the Facebook ad, to the landing page and to the lead conversion journey. And having this 
built in into Horizon. This will allow for having an even broader audience setting up tests on their own because it's not about like building the like most fanciest or most beautiful landing page in the world. It's about building the right thing with the right assets and to get it out as early as you can. And the marketing campaign that goes along with the landing pages, uh, that's pretty straightforward, correct? I'm, I'm assuming that depending on whether you, use, you choose LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Google, there's a set of like parameters that you need to choose, but it basically corresponds to whatever kind of uh, user engagement landing pages that you're talking about, right? They're currently using Facebook only um, and Facebook connected also to Instagram um, because we are focusing on consumer demand. Um, B2B is entirely different from like a video typing testing approach. Um, and certainly talking about LinkedIn, maybe for like a very specific target group, you're going to end up with a cost per click about like $10 per click. And with this kind of CPC level, you're not able to actually allow for like a quick and affordable test. Because if you would like to reach the sufficient amount of data, AKA visitors on your website, you need to spend like a fortune to acquire this amount of traffic, like playing out the ads on LinkedIn, for instance. And whenever it comes to B2B sales or like, let's say B2B validation or prototyping, um, there's usually like a lot of people involved in the buying decision. Um, and this is nothing like a single user can conduct or can decide like, let's say on a landing page because you, you do have the purchasing department, you do have like the, um, the other guys on, on the product working it's like a buying center and you're not able to test it with landing pages. And who is Horizon uh, ideally for? What's, who's your car audience for the product that you're, that you're selling? It's uh, the founders, it's the innovation labs or digital units, let's call them. Um, and this is um, actually the most intense target group currently. And then there's the agencies and consultancies working with multiple clients. Um, and therefore like using Horizon on the multiple like instances, basically. There's three, like, three core target groups we do have. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Jonathan, what are some of the questions you have for, uh, for Daniel? Um, I have a few more on my end. Um, I'm curious, Daniel, um, out of all the landing pages that you've seen, what are some general trends that you've seen among like the best performing uh, landing pages for, uh, for Horizon? These are landing pages that are like pretty clear in what they are communicating towards the customer. Now, there's a, a lot of people and customers of ours that are trying to come up with like video ads, for instance, or a video being built into the landing page. And we're trying to get the most beautiful promising video out there. But actually it turned out that the, the user is just not understanding what this product is about. And therefore the best landing pages we see are actually the landing pages that are pretty straightforward they are showing the product in, in terms of like a home screen, if it comes to like an application, a mobile application, like a product pack shot from inside, and then like a clear value proposition, like clear feature list. So you, you don't need to necessarily do like fancy things to convince the customer, you need to solve a problem. And this is actually the landing page that performed the best, or let's say the, the test performing the best way, because test always add landing page on the conversion. Yeah, I love it. It's like simplicity is simplicity is is best. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like the simple the simple landing pages where like the value proposition is like at the maybe at the top of the screen where like the user looks at for like the first three seconds and then that usually draws their attention the most. 
Yeah, right. And this is uh, actually the reason why I'm saying um, it's not about us building the next landing page, build a no-code stuff. It's more about like getting the thing right in terms of allowing for quick setup. Um, so what we target is actually um, that a user is able to set up a landing page demand test in less than 24 hours. I and currently on, on, our, on our data, we see that like a test setup is usually about one or two weeks even for really building like a design for like a prototype or for a mock-up for a pack shot, setting up the ads, um, getting Facebook campaigns the right way. And this is just, I mean, for us, it's pretty clear that there is a simpler solution to that. I love it. I love it. And, um, and kind of going off of that, like what's your, what's your overall vision for Horizon? Like if Horizon were to be maximized at its highest level, what would it, what, 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 like, what would it revolutionize? In terms of numbers, probably the amount of tests running per year. Um, however, um, like a factor test is not attached to a landing page, actually. A factor test can happen basically everywhere, even within existing products. So it's more about becoming the, like the platform for factor testing, um, which is for sure in the, in the very beginning built on landing pages. But there's a lot of more stuff you could do in terms of factor testing. Um, having like plugins in the shop, but you're moving just an instance, but you're moving more in the direction of tools such as Optimizely or whatever, that are actually focused on uh, AB and multivariate testing. Um, however, it's still a difference in doing a fake door test than just optimizing for the best result. Right, right, exactly. And uh, speaking of fake door tests, I've seen you be active, fairly active with, uh, you know, post some things here and there within our pre-dotyping Slack group. What are your thoughts on like the, the pre-dotyping community so far? Uh, I like it pretty much. I'm still looking for some like data evidence how the prototyping movement is evolving. Um, so if you if you go for Google Trends, for instance, you see that this is kind of a uh, not changing line. But however, I feel like that prototyping um, gains more and more traction. Um, so I, I love it. Um, it's actually the the way we are doing this kind of validation for the past few years. I really love it. But what is your feeling about prototyping? Is it taking off or is it like? not moving. What do you think? I'll start off with Rob first. What do you think? What do you think prototyping is going and evolving? I think there's a necessary bridge that needs to happen between the concept of prototyping the everyday person. I, I know that Alberto is very passionate about what he teaches and preaches with the XYZ hypothesis and kind of being able to use, say it with data and numbers. However, I don't think that that approach translates to normal people that are, are not intended to understand prototyping. Having said that, I think that the, the application of the process is, can actually be done in more ways than one. But in order for that to happen, you need to meet people halfway. You need to kind of speak some of their language so that they can cognitively bridge what prototyping, that the, the benefits of prototyping to what they want to get out of it. So I think that originally when it was set out 10 years ago, it really was a hit with engineers, entrepreneurs, and other people that saw the, the, the bonus, the benefits of seeing everything either through data or, or being able to distill it down into some very basic sense. But uh, humans are a bit more complex. And I find that when I've been approaching this and, and exploring it over a year now, um, it, it's not black and white. It's not just use XYZ to make it happen. It's 
that this is their situation and how do I, how do they basically bridge what they're doing with what pre-dotyping holds promise for? That's at least what, what I'm experiencing. For me, I'm taking pre-dotyping in a direction where I'm, I'm kind of playing in that messy middle where there's the, the, the base example from Alberto and all the things that he preaches and teaches. And then there's what my audience is asking for, which is going to be something like that, but a little bit different. So I'm just basically socializing and sharing what I'm doing with pre-dotyping. Uh, and I think you and I, Jonathan, are on the same page that there's a lot of promise to it. I think we're just trying to use different mediums to show what's possible. And I think if uh, eventually as this thing goes forward, we're gonna have our own, we're gonna kind of put our line in the sand or at least put our our, our stake in the ground in terms of where we think this this is headed and what it means to kind of be doing, but to do prototyping in relation to a broader common conversation about experimentation. How's that for it? for a, a salvo into the into the, the mix of the conversation. Uh, I mean, I love it. Um, and, you know, for myself, I think that, uh, I think prototyping is something that every every early stage entrepreneur needs to learn about. And, um, and I think, you know, especially here in Europe, you know, it's not talked about enough, right? A lot of people still go by the traditional kind of like, sort of traditional. I mean, they go by a lot of, you know, um, lean startup MVP ideology, right? You know, they imagine like the very first thing you need to do um, when you come with a product idea is you need to try to build, build an MVP and test it, which um, some of the work I try to do is, you know, try to change the narrative and say, when you first come with the product idea, you need to pre-type it, right? Uh, it's going to take a while, I think, for it to uh, more or less um, either supersede kind of like, all right, like when you first have a business idea, you know, do the MVP ideology. Um, I really, really want to see, you know, um, and all across Europe, you know, um, founders, when they first come with a business idea, they start going to prototyping directly. But I think it's going to take a lot of education. It's going to take a lot of, you know, um, preaching. Um, it's going to take a lot of, you know, awareness. Um, it's going to have to take a lot of, you know, um, support from, you know, a variety of different ends, right? So some of the things I've been brainstorming is, you know, what if you can use Three, uh, three to five successful prototyping experiments and use that to get your first pre-seed investment. That's like one of the things I'm trying to explore. Um, so I'm really excited uh, what prototyping can do for the startup ecosystem. I think if more people understood prototyping, then, um, then more people would have the insights necessary to build a successful business based on the fact that they have the skills to eliminate 80 to 90% of ideas that don't work. Yeah, I like it. Um, actually, the uh, the investors are kind of interesting uh, target group for for Horizon users and customers as well because uh, whenever it's like kind of a startup or like a founder, um, he's he's running a test with like a strong CAC, for instance, and having a CAC that then translates into into a good business case. This is actually the perfect thing you could do in terms of like the pre-seed funding you're approaching. Um, just throwing these numbers at the investors and they um, this is not a hypothetical business case, but this is validated actually. This is the real CAC. Um, this is such a strong argument we've seen like a couple of times in the past actually happening, which is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think Horizon has has a lot of potential in that way, right? I think like you know, if uh, if if Horizon can kind of be that bridge between like all right, like here's the founder and they need to get the necessary numbers to like uh, an angel or VC uh, to to make them feel satisfied about how about their investment being de-risked, then. I feel like that can be that good middle ground where uh, the two sides can understand each other better. Because right now, like in a lot of cases, what I see is you know angels, VCs, and founders just they just don't get each other. They're they're talking at like two separate two separate levels. Yeah, 
Uh, actually, this is the case. Yeah, and even if like a founder is showing the the data from Horizon to an investor, the investor is always asking like, "What this? How did you test it? Oh, this is pretty cool." So it's always the same like narrative going on and the same reaction going on in terms of the investor side. So there's a lot of education to do um, for sure. Absolutely, and um, for me, kind of going off of on that end, um, you haven't been an ecosystem builder. Um, tell me, what do you think are the elements needed to, uh, to build a good startup ecosystem? And, um, and, you know, you haven't done some work in the uh, Hamburg, you know, German ecosystem. What are some things that still need to be improved? Yeah, actually, it's, uh, it's more in the Frankfurt region. Um, however, it's a couple of things involved for having like a strong ecosystem. Uh, most people think that it's actually about the money and the funds you need. But talking about Frankfurt, I mean, it's basically the capital of finance, um, certainly after Brexit. Sorry for that. <laughs> um, wow. That's okay. <laughs> it's just, just, a, just a recent research coming out, actually, uh, stating Frankfurt as a new capital of, of uh, finance. Um, however, whether this is the truth or not, uh, doesn't matter. However, there is a lot of money in Frankfurt, actually. So the money is not the thing that actually makes the ecosystem thrive. Um, it's a, like a couple of things you need to have. You need to have the founders connected. You need to have the people actually investing on, on a business angel level. Um, and it's kind of like a set of things you need to do the right direction. Um, and for sure, it's talent, actually. So taking a look at Berlin, um, keeping it in the, in the, in the German um, or in the, in the German landscape, there's a lot of talent involved, also international talent. So you do have the money, you do have the talent, you do have the ecosystem, people are talking to each other. There's a strong network of business angels, for instance, um, but still like Germany in general is lacking um, everything that happens after like a series A. So there's a like, like a broad set of things that need to go the right direction in order to allow an ecosystem to really thrive. But still, I think we are on a good way in Frankfurt and we are on a good way in, in Germany in general. Still, I think we don't have the, the same level than UK. I think you guys are still far ahead of us, but not too sure. Don't have the actual numbers. No, I love it. And uh, it's great that you mentioned all of this because I remember um, I've been studying a lot of like Alex Danko's work. Have you ever heard of him before? No, not yet. Okay, so Alex Danko, he's a, he's a Canadian uh, ecosystem builder. And basically one of the things he talks about is like how um, the, the issue affecting a lot of like non-Canadian, uh, non-Silicon Valley startup ecosystems uh, all boils down to the fact that like, I think a lot of investors use a short-term mindset rather than a long-term mindset. And so like, and so in other words, like one, you know, they're not very, they're, they're a bit risk averse. And then two, you know, um, they put in all their deal terms, like all sorts of downside protection, things like that, that like harms the founders a lot. And it prevents them from, from thinking big and like being as ambitious as, the, as, as in Silicon Valley. And then that's how you end up with like, um, a lot of Silicon Valley flight after like series A or B, right? And so, um, and so that's like some of the things that he was talking about is like how we need to like recidify kind of like a lot of the short-term, short-term mindset of, you know, a lot of the ecosystem builders and, you know, kind of like that apprehensiveness to, you know, um, to, to, you know, bet big on like big ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, talking certainly about the Germans, it's the Germans are pretty conservative in, in their mindset. So you need to have the right mindset, right? In, in Germany, it's always like, you're always like, approaching your opinion like, oh, this is not working because, but this is the first sentence actually. And there's a lot of countries in, in the world where it's just vice versa basically. So it's also a matter of the mindset you're experiencing in a certain country actually. Uh, I think the Germans are getting better in it. Um, however, still a way to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Robert, uh, do you have any last things that you want to uh, either ask or add in? What do you think about Horizon, guys? Have you tested it? Me? No, I got a promotional email or a promotional message on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, but no, perfect. I, no my, um, my focus with experimentation is elsewhere in that I'm, I'm currently, like I said, I'm having extended conversations with people on how they can as entrepreneurs, as solopreneurs that have an idea or two ideas, how they can take the, the, uh, the notion of experimentation and make it fit into their world. What can they use with their existing tool sets, their existing uh, like way they've, they're structured themselves and go about experimentation? And when is it appropriate to seek out a company like Horizon or to look for a couple of like different people to help them with what they're doing? And it's, it's kind of a Q&A, but it's also encouraging people to use those muscles of experimentation to try different things. I think that's where, I think that's where my focus is currently. Um, so Jonathan, what about you? Are you going to be a Horizon buyer sometime soon? Um, we'll see. I mean, uh, I, mean I guess it's it, wondering, is Horizon good for venture capitalists? would be another question. That's, that's, uh, I mean, I, in theory, it should be. Um, I'm actually funny enough because, like, uh, for that idea that we were just chatting about earlier, um, I'm trying to I'm, I'm building out the founder selection model, and then uh, this might be a good part of you know like doing like a screening for like uh, found uh, for, uh, pre-screening for like founders before you get them funds and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it'll be cool to I guess it'd be cool to uh, to to try out at some point. Um, I also joined in the Slack as you saw. Uh, you have an interesting Slack channel. It's about 95% German. Um, so uh, it's not as uh, not as useful as I would have hoped it to be. But uh, maybe someday I'll brush up on my German and, uh, and I'll be able to communicate with everybody uh, free, uh, fluently. Or it's an opportunity to learn another language too. My son's learning Hindi and, and Spanish. So he's encouraging me to try to do the same. So maybe that's a bridge, a bridge you can cross. How's uh, learning Hindi for him? It's, uh, I've heard it's also quite a difficult language to learn too. I hear it in the car when we're driving to do errands because he usually does Duolingo in the car and he does a lot of uh, a lot of the vowel sounds right now. So he has to he, he has to play them multiple times. So I'm learning Hindi by proxy. That's uh, that's cool. Reading and writing too. No, uh, I think so. I don't think he's in the writing yet for just basically for for listening for now for the language acquisition. Right. Um, well, John, but we're, we're going to make sure that you understand that. So we're going to switch to English for sure. <laughs> or Mandarin. Yeah, oh, that, I, there, there are Slack plugins actually where you can translate the, the language that's native to the board to whatever language you're looking at. I'm pretty sure there is one. It just basically re just puts it through like an open API filter that Google has and, and you, can see, you can see all the, the language kind of uh, convert into your native language. Right. Mandarin is not my native language, but that's, <laughs> that's my second language. Um, anyway, guys, um, thank you for listening to our interview this, uh, with uh, Daniel Pucci. Um, uh, check out gethorizon.net um, on your web browser. Um, and uh, if, you have, if you have a chance, you know, uh, connect with him on LinkedIn. Um, you know, he's got a lot of uh, great projects going on. And he's got, he has a lot of great things to say. And um, remember, viewers, uh, fail Ferrari fast, McDonald's cheap. <laughs>